the seven-year itch. Our seven years of straight losses taught this trader one of the toughest lessons in the business. There's no such thing as quick, easy money. Trading is the hardest profession in the world, but it can be taught, you can learn it, and if you are willing to put in the effort, you will be successful. Ray Barros managed to turn seven years of losses into remarkable wins, and now he wants to give something back. He set up a training program and is teaching newer traders the skills he learned the hard way. And there are lots of opportunities. 100 point swing on the Dow. It is like the world's most beautiful puzzle. I don't know, maybe they should lay off the coffee in the morning, you know. If you can make 15 to 20% variety. The Artful Trader. Hi and welcome to The Artful Trader. I'm Michael McCarthy, the Chief Market Strategist at CMC Markets Asia Pacific. Each episode, we unlock the secrets behind the highs and lows of the industry's experts and discover their journey to mastering the art of the financial markets. In his over 30 years of trading, Ray Barros has seen many traders, both beginners and experts, mistake luck for skill. He was one of them. He's made all the mistakes in the trader's manual and then some, but after carefully studying his losses, he developed an approach that gives him a winning edge. Ray retired from managing a private hedge fund in 2010 and is now teaching and mentoring others. And his biggest piece of advice? Let's find out. From Hong Kong, welcome Ray Barros to The Artful Trader. Ray, you're a brilliant student at Sydney University's School of Law. As a lawyer, you're hugely successful and then you turn to trading. Seven years of straight losses. That must have hurt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I sold the legal practice and uh, in 18 months I gave it all back. And then my wife supported me for the next, uh, what, five and a half years or so. It was difficult. I've I've, got to tell you because, you know, I like to say when I'm doing a a lecture sometimes that Chrissy used to bring money in in through the windows and I was tossing it out the front door almost at twice the speed that she brought it in. She was supporting the family. And in that seven years, I dropped about 750,000 Aussie dollars. Uh, It was a long, hard journey. So what was it like in those early days? I mean, it must have put pressure on your relationship with your partner. You know, we're married 50 years. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I've I've really got to give it to her. I mean, the reason I've been married, I was going to say I'm married 50 years because she's been such a wonderful kid. I mean, I, I was trading and I kept losing money you know, and I blew my account for the umpteenth time. And I said to her, darling, please, I've learned my lesson. Just fund me once more, just this last time. I promise you, I promise you, uh, I'm going to be different. So she gave me 25 grand and we're trading the S&P mini, e-minis in those days was full. You know, we had $500. She didn't have the mini, sorry, trading the S&Ps, $500 a point. We were doing about a seven point range on a Friday night. And by the end of trading on Friday night, I bought every high and sold every low. And I'd blown the 25 grand. Wow. And honestly, she never said a word. Many years later, when I was successful, it was a different story. She let me have it then. But in those <laughs> years when I was <laughs> when those years when I was struggling, she never said a word. I look, I was so lucky to find her. So losing like that for a long period of time can take its toll on even the strongest traders. What are your thoughts around building and maintaining that resilience? Oh, part of it is um, I got into transcendental meditation when I was in university, and that helped a lot. And now the modern research shows that mindfulness meditation or any type of meditation, but especially mindfulness, will help you 
settle your doubts about yourself, if I could put it that way. Also, I had a, I was very lucky. I came from a family background that basically said, you can do anything you want as long as you set your mind to it and don't give up. So it, it was difficult. I won't say it wasn't difficult. There were times when you just wanted to chuck the whole thing away and say, you know, what, what's going on here? Um, am I really suited? So all those things helped. Chrissy being supportive, my family background, transcendental meditation, all of those things came together and just gave me the resilience to keep on working. So it sounds like confidence and self-belief are, are key characteristics of traders? I think they're absolutely critical. Um, you know, trading is the only game in the world where we're, our hard wiring is against us. We move away from pain into pleasure. And in trading, we tend to look at losses as painful. And yet it's part of the game. It, it's a necessary cost of doing business. If you can keep your losses small, which means you've got to accept them and take them as early as possible without fear that the market will then go your way. So it, it's absolutely critical confidence and self-belief. Do you think there are other qualities that uh, constitute natural talent in a trader? Uh, I'm not a big believer in natural talent. I think the good thing about trading is the fact that you don't have to be the best in the world. You just have to be confident because 90% of the population is giving you money. I think probably one of the things that I found more than, than talent, there's a, a new therapy out there called acceptance and commitment training or acceptance and commitment therapy by Russell Harris. I think he's from Australia and that has helped a lot. And I think applying that and those ideas are, are much more helpful to a trader than natural talent. Right. So you can work your way up to being a good trader. Absolutely. I think this is, this is I think one of the things that uh, the traders coming up nowadays don't appreciate just how lucky they are. They have some very, very good trainers around the world who are genuinely trying to help you. Uh, when I first started, uh, all we had in Australia was uh, get rich quick, you know, buy my system and you're going to be rich tomorrow type thing. Uh, we didn't have any of the basics, psychology, money management. None of those things were available to us. I had to fly to the States to do Pete Stettelmeyer's market profile to get introduced to these ideas. So uh, I think that you can certainly work up to it. And as I said, I think the generation of traders today are very, very lucky. I'd acknowledge that as well, Ray. But so who taught you? Well, Pete Settlemeyer, as I said, I, I don't know whether the audience would be familiar with him. He was around the late 70s, early 80s. He came and brought the market profile into prominence. And uh, I flew across to the States. And I remember that very well because said, Chrissy, can, can you afford to send me? And she said, okay, but I'm going to be on $5 a day, uh, living expenses. We owned our own flat, thank goodness. And uh, off I went to the States and Peter turned me around. Peter Settlemeyer, he did, is he a co-author of one of the best little books on the markets, Market Logic? Yeah, m Markets and Market Logic. Peter's written about four books. He wasn't the easiest person in the world to understand. If you read Markets and Market Logic, you'll see what I mean. But his ideas were fantastic. For example, you and market understanding equals success is one of his famous statements, and that's certainly true. What were his other ideas that really resonated with you? Well, to me, he focused on managing the trade. He said, your entry is important because if you can enter in a nice spot, then you, you have less angst about the market going against you, but you're never going to buy the exact low and you're never going to buy the exact high. What you can control is 
managing the trade once you're in it. And he said, the best trades are where you're wrong and you have given yourself enough time to exit without loss. And that really resonated with me. And, you know, I won't say I went to a seminar and became an instant trader. I think it took me nine to 12 months before I turned the corner, but at least it gave me the ideas to work with. And that has always been the focus of my trading. If I want to improve, I'm looking, how can I exit a little bit earlier how can I tell my trades aren't going to go the way I want them to go? And put aside the fear that the moment I exit, it, it's going to go my way. That's what Pete taught me. He said, look, if you exit early and you're wrong about the exit, you can always get back in. Don't worry about exiting early. And I, and you look at structure of the market rather than price to determine your exits. And I thought that was fantastic. So one of the keys is living to trade another day. Yeah, really managing your losses. Uh, the more you can reduce your losses, your winners, I don't think you can control your winners that much in the sense that, you know, you, you get into a trade and the market will do what it will do and you do the best you can to manage it. If it's a choppy market, you're probably going to be in and out many times if you're looking for the right spot to get back in. If you take those losses as being really tiny, then, you know, you can have 10 losses in a row and if you're losing, you know, maybe 0.01% each time, then it doesn't hurt. But if each time you lose, it's going to cost you 3 or 4%. That's a whole different ballgame. Ray, your father was a trader as well, and I imagine some of his lessons and values were passed on to you. What did he teach you about riding the winning and lose it, the wins and losses in the market? Dad was a wonderful investor trader. He didn't want any of his children involved in the markets, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> He came from the classical, their background was very much the children were going to be professionals, you, you know, become a lawyer, become a doctor, uh, become an accountant, become a teacher. All, all our brothers and sisters got university degrees and eight kids in the family. So I didn't really get into trading until uh, he passed away. But what he taught me was self-belief, perseverance. If something's not working, don't keep repeating the same mistake over and over again. Go find out what you're doing wrong. And success comes from making errors. It, usually you're going to learn more from your errors. And if you can accept those, you can fail 10,000 times. But that's only the one step toward your journey of success. And that's, I think, what he gave all of us. All, all of the children have that same attitude. Uh, you served a very long apprenticeship. You've been a very successful trader for many years. And now the wheel has turned and the students become the teacher. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, unfortunately, from my point of view, Chrissy always comes to my presentations when we're trying to fill the class. And I'm not as successful a teacher as I am a trader, simply because she says I, I sell hard work. I'm not a natural salesman, so I had to pick up those skills. And whenever I do a, a talk about people wanting to be traders, I'll say, look, it's the hardest profession in the world. Tell them how what it's like and tell them how difficult it's going to be. And it's no wonder, I guess, that people don't sign up and make it sound too difficult. And it is a difficult profession. <laughs> it, you're telling the truth, right? Well, yeah. I mean, people come to these things and they, the question is, you know, I've got $2,000 and I want to make 100000 a year. And, and you got to tell them it's not going to happen. You know, if you can make 15 to 20% per annum, you're doing extremely well. You're doing very well. In fact, the first year, if you haven't made any money, the first year, if you can break even, you've done well uh, and then incrementally go from there. But I've been very lucky. I've got some great students that have come through the, the classes and really they've become friends and they've taught me so much simply from their questions. 
things that I take for granted, they will ask. And suddenly I think, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? I'm seeing it from that perspective. And that opens up my perspective and it makes me so much so much a better trader. So do you get together with your former students socially, right? I meet them socially. We talk on the net. We've got a small trading group on the net. And I'm always trying to improve my trading. So whenever I come across something that I like or I've taken a course that I like, I will pass the ideas on. And they do the same. So, yeah, we, it's, it's an ongoing trading group. One of the things that's come out of recent research is it's been quite um, useful for trading is that you're, you're better off in a group. You, you, they hold you accountable. If you, if you organize the group properly, it's called um, flip the classroom. And the, this new mode of teaching includes group learning. And this group learning structured properly is a very, very big help to the trader, I think, because essentially trading is a lonely profession. And if you can have a group behind you, it just makes you so much easier. It makes life so much easier. You've got support. Uh, sometimes the spouses don't understand and the group there helps both you and the spouse. So we've got a good group going. Ray, I'm sure many of our listeners would love to be in that room one time. What's it like to be in that room? What's the, How does the conversation go? What's the feel? We try and have one once a week. Not everybody turns up, but we, we start off and each one will say how they're seeing a particular market. So we try and allot markets to certain people or certain groups. Say, okay, Mike, you're going to be on next week on the Nikkei or Ray, you're going to be on next week on a couple of currencies or whatever it might be. And we then give the views and we tell the group what we're planning to do. And then the following week when we do the follow-up, what happens in the group is you tell them whether or not you followed your plan. You tell them whether or not, and if you didn't, why you didn't. And this, the telling, telling others what you're going to do makes it more difficult to trade impulsively. And then if you do trade impulsively, the group knows about it, then they're going to ask you why, what happened, what were the circumstances, they offer their two bits. And out of that interaction, you know, you might dismiss 90% of what is said, but there's 10% that you retain that you can keep, you use to make yourself a better trader. And what happens here is that if you keep hearing yourself say the same mistake over and over again, you're more likely to do something about it than if you did and you just sat alone with your own thoughts because you have, you're not accountable to anybody then. But now if you're talking to someone, it's a public shame, whatever you want to call it, especially in the East, Mike, you know what face is like. <laughs> yes. It's, it makes a difference. It's a very powerful pressure. We all have to struggle with that uh, that temptation to trade off our impulse, and uh, that sounds like a very powerful way to overcome it. So, Ray, uh, you've been quoted many times as saying, listen to the trader talking about his losses, not the one talking about his wins, because the one studying and learning from his losses is likely to be the better trader. Yes, the, the thing is, when you make a mistake, you've got to distinguish between mistakes and losses. So I don't worry too much about the outcome of a trade. You have no control in a sense about the outcome. What you have control over is the process. And the mistake is not following the process. So if you find that you're making a mistake over and over again, the same, you know, you might not follow your plan. Um, recently, we had a talk in Singapore and a chap got up and said, look, I've been to many courses, I spent a lot of money, but I, I don't seem to follow whatever they've taught me. And we sat to talking a little bit afterwards. And 
we found that there's a certain there were certain social environments, certain certain events would happen in his life that would almost invariably lead him to breaking his rules, if I can put it that way. And that, that's what I mean by learning from your losses. If, if you identify, what is it I'm doing? You know, there's a good quote that someone once gave me a long time ago. He was a psychiatrist that I got friendly with. And he said, if you have an outcome that you want and you have a series of behaviors that lead away from that outcome, and each of those behaviors have what appears to be a really good reason, forget the reasons, they're excuses. Look at what you're doing. Look at the behavior. Look at the result and find out the reason for the behavior. That's what's going to put you in your way. I think that's the best summation of my approach to losses. I'm doing something. It's resulting in something I don't want. What are the conditions under which that behavior is being executed? How do I change that behavior? That's what I think is really important. I can understand why uh, your method has been so successful. It sounds like you're constantly honing it. And generally, um, when traders get together, we hear a lot about the successes, but losing trades can be just as memorable. Is there any trade that you recall particularly that that really taught you something? Uh, In terms of losses or profits? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we might do both if you don't mind. Um, let's do the um, the losses first. Um, we had a situation once where about 18 months ago, I had a particular view, I think, on the dollar CAD. And because what I do is I'm what I call a, an 18-day swing trader, monthly trend trader. But I execute, say, on the 60 minutes. So when I'm getting ready to take a trade, um, I'm relaxed and I'm focused. I'm letting it set up. And as soon as I see the setup and trigger, I pounce, right? That That's the theoretical the, the way I should approach it. I also know that if I get very tired, I should not be trading. And uh, that night I uh, had, you know, we had a, a number of social engagements and blah, blah, blah. And I was pretty, pretty exhausted. And right. I just wanted to go long, I think, or go short. I can't remember now. Let's say I wanted to go long. And for some reason I went short. And it cost me like 200 pips to, to reverse the position from where I got in. Ouch. You know, you look back on that, you say, I ought to know better. I know I'm going to trade poorly if I'm tired, and yet I did it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we've all been in a similar situation. How did you feel the next day after you'd had a chance to recover? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a thing that Russell Harris said, uh, you have to accept it. I mean, feeling... Blaming yourself and being down on yourself it doesn't do anything. Just work out the why, the circumstances. So in this case, I was tired. I, I, I likely, you know, it's 18 months ago, and I haven't traded since when I'm tired. So that, that was a reminded myself, you know, that no matter how good I think I am, certain rules apply, and you've got to keep to them. <laughs> but uh, on the profit side, um, I guess let's talk about a story which is verifiable. Um, This is actually on the blog. I have a particular strategy, which I now call the Brit exit strategy. And essentially, it's a situation where if you look at it objectively, it's a 50-50 chance of the event occurring. So Brit exit, if you looked at all the polls and and you looked at where the polls were being taken, you could say, well, in the educated areas like London and so on, there was very much a strong consensus that Britain would stay in the European community. If you went out 
to the working class, lower middle class areas, there's a strong consensus that would be not in their favor. This came very clearly if you followed the polls, this was very clear. And yet, prior to grid exit, the market rallied, the sterling rallied very, very strongly. So I was recommending in the blog that people cut their position size down because if they were going to be wrong, if you know, if you were wrong and the people didn't move out of sight of break the exit and you did go short the sterling, you know, you could be down three or four hundred pips very quickly. But if you're right, it was going to make a big move in your favor and the risk reward was really was really, really good. I call that the Brit exit strategy. The idea is to enter just before the result comes out if you can. So I entered after New York close, market rallied a little bit more, sold that high, and then the results started coming off. And that was probably wow. one of my best trades, I think, in, in the recent past. A guy from my uh, from the blog wrote to me thanking me for, he made over a million bucks, he says. Wow. And he said that uh, <laughs> you don't have the courage of your convictions because I only put a 25% uh, position size on because I figured... As I said, it's very important you cut your, your, your position size down because you're going to make up in volatility what you'd normally make up with your position size. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I thanked him, of course. I said, I'm glad you made a million bucks. And uh, thank you for your comment about me not having the courage of my convictions. <laughs> Imagine if I'd been wrong. <laughs> He'd be writing to me. <laughs> Well, off the top of my head, Ray, there was something like 1,200 pips available in that hour or two after the, the result was clear. There was, there was. Was that, sorry, did you shut the trade down almost immediately or did you swing with it? Yeah, for, for this kind of um, trading, you, you cut it off when you think the low is in place. Um, and that's not hard to tell because you, part of my approach to the markets is Wyckoff theory and he's got a selling climax. And so there are very, some very objective rules about when a, a, a low is likely to be formed. It has to spike down. You have that ex, what people call an excess low and so on. And to the moments after you'd closed the position, you, you've exited, mm-hmm. what was going through your mind? No, oh, just strategy works. I try not to get over... I try not get to get too depressed if I have a, when I'm in a drawdown mode. It's, you know, we all get them. You, you get, you know, you know, those times when whatever you do, whatever has worked in the past just refuses to work. Um, and so you reduce position size, you get out earlier and so on. Similarly, on the, on the big profits where you think, wow, this has been, that was a really good trade, you know, fantastic. You don't, you're trying not to get too carried away. But I felt good. Obviously, you're going to feel good. You take a good profit yeah. and the trade works out the way it does. I got more of a kick out of the uh, replies, not so much the outcome of the trade, but the emails I got and the comments I got on the blog about people taking the trade or people not taking or taking the trade and not following instructions and getting stopped out before they and then not getting back in. That that sort of thing was was uh, instructive. Yeah, right. You've seen a lot of the markets. You've been in them a long time. Um, clearly, you know there are trends in markets and approaches to markets. How has trading changed over the course of your career? I think we're seeing less trending moves. Um, although, you know, if you look at the ES, for example, that, that's been a very strong uptrend. It looks as though it might continue, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I think the fact that we've got instant news now has affected the way traders react to markets. In the old days, we used to say markets are a little bit prescient. They tend to tell you what the economy is going to do further down the track. And I don't think that's true anymore. I don't, I don't, traders nowadays react off the news and 
are just as impulsive, if you will, as the retail trader. Uh, I'm talking about the institutions because they move the market. They're reacting off the news. The new bunch of kids that are in the market nowadays, they react off the news. And, you know, Britix, it's a classic example. I don't think that would have happened as much in the old days. So we're seeing less trending moves, especially in the currencies. Um, We're seeing more whipsaws. So you need to be a little bit more nimble, if you will, about exiting your poor trades. Or if, you know, if something's not working, you've got to exit it earlier rather than later so that you can go back in because the market's changed so much, that much more quickly. The indices are a bit different. Because of QE, we've taken the floor away from shorts, if I can put it that way. We've got a floor for the support of the uptrend. Um, although the Federal Reserve has said it's going to stop has stopped QE. There is still a lingering belief of talking to the people, friends of mine that are in the game as hedge fund managers and so on. There's still a lingering belief that if this market dies tomorrow, if we have a huge crash in the stock market tomorrow, the Fed will come back in and pump the prime again. And there won't ever be a way from the market. You won't return to the normal states as far as the stock indices are concerned. And I'm a little bit concerned about that simply because at some point, pump priming, if it continues the way they've been doing for the amount of money they've been putting into the system, at some point, that's going to stop working. And once that starts to reverse, if when you start going back to normal, interest rates have to start going back up again. Uh, and I, I belong to the Austrian School of Economics. I believe that really does forecast what the economies are going to do. I think we're going to be in for a very, very deep recession, depression type situation, simply because we've had years of pump priming. And it's just going to be very interesting to see what happens between now and say the next four or five years, uh, whether or not we're going to get a, a top in these equity markets. Right. Often as traders, um, and particularly equity market traders, we make our biggest wins when the market falls. Do you think that that introduces a bias into the way we think about markets? I I don't think that that's true for traders in general. I think traders in general, each trader has a bias. I know, for example, one trader trades the Aussie dollar that will always always looks for the short side, never looks for the long. Um, I think there's a bias at the moment for the long side. You sure you're going to get people who want to go? You want to short the market? Market's gone too high. I'm going to sell it, and and that. That is there, right? And I'll probably fall into that camp more than I would to the long side. But I think the majority of people at the moment, as far as the equity indices are concerned, is that they do favor the buying dips. They think if I buy a dip, I'm safe. Um, problem with people like myself who remember the 87 crash is that this market looks to me to be running out of steam. And in the old days, we could look at volume and range to give us some idea of whether we're topping out. But again, because of QE, it's distorted the signal, so that's not available. Um, So I'm not sure that that's true, Michael. I think it's true perhaps for me uh, and maybe people of my generation where we went through 87, we went through the 70s, where 60s and 70s, where the market was... uh, going sideways to down because uh, I started trading when I was in, in uh, university um, and, you know, lost money, obviously, then gave it away. Um, and then again, 87, well, I was, that was my first profitable year. And the only reason I was profitable that year because I was short uh, Black Friday. I, I went short on close on Friday. And I remember walking into the broker on Monday. In those days, of course, we didn't have terminals. We would sit there and 
watch the Reuters green screen and chart by hand. And uh, my broker, the guy with the night desk guy, was um, pale. He walked in and I said, you know, so what's the matter with you? He said, oh, it's down 100 points. And I said, okay, so the Dow's down 100 points. You know, He said, no, the Dow's not down 100 points. The S&P's down 100 points. And I thought, okay, <laughs> how much is that in dollars and cents? <laughs> So what's what's really coming through here, Ray, is that you're always learning and you're always adapting to changes. Oh, absolutely, Michael. Markets continually change. Learning behavior changes. So, yeah, you're, I'm always learning. I've never stopped learning. And one of my Chrissy's pet peeves is that we need to keep giving away my books because otherwise I just wouldn't have space for it in the library. The Hong Kong Library has said to me, anytime Mr. Barrish, your books are immaculate, you, you can give it to us anytime. In fact, every 18 months or so, if I don't send them some book, they write to me now and say, uh, have you, you know, taken us off your list? <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah. Clearly in demand. So, so, Ray, listening to you, it's clear that you have a real affection for markets and trading. Why do you love it? Mate, just think of it this way. There is no nothing else in the world out there, as far as I'm concerned, that puts the management of my enterprise, my whatever I'm doing to make a living, totally within my control. It's I fall or I succeed based on my judgment alone. That's it. There's no external this, you, you don't owe anything to anybody else. Even if when you're when you're teaching, you know, you might think you can help XYZ students, but if they don't want to be taught, if they, if they can't see the value, if you can't you can show them all the reasons in the world, emotional and rational reasons why they should do X, Y, Z. And if they don't want to do it, there's nothing you can do about it. That doesn't happen with the markets. I mean, if I want to make a profit, I have to do X, Y, Z process. If I follow that process of a large sample size, I will make money. That I know just from the results of the trading. If I break X, Y, Z process, I might make money on this trade, but over a large sample size, I'm going to lose money. So that's one thing. It's totally within my control. Success or failure is in my hands. Uh, so that's something I really love. I value that independence. The second thing is it's the only profession in the world where 90% of the people or your competitors are giving you money. <laughs> I mean, where else are you going to get that? Very true. <laughs> and very attractive. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I, I'd only like to say to traders or people who are listening to, to this broadcast, there's no such thing as quick, easy money. It, trading is the hardest profession in the world, but it can be taught. You can learn it. And if you are willing to put in the effort, you will be successful. It doesn't need any talent. You only have to be competent. You don't have to be the best to make a very, very good living. You can become really wealthy out of trading, but you need to do the right thing. You need to follow the right processes. So forget about making $20 million in a $1,000 account next year. Just do it slowly, step by step. And the younger you are when you start, the easier it will be over time because compounding is such a great tool. You certainly get emails from people and emails from the spouses saying, thank you so much for helping. You know, if it hadn't been for your help, I don't know where it would be, that sort of thing. That that makes my day. That I have to say that that's worth a million bucks. Ray, it's been fascinating and a lot of fun. Thank you very much for your time and your generosity today. Okay, thank you, sir. That was Ray Barros. You can find Ray's best advice for newer traders in an exclusive Artful Trader blog post. 
Read it now at theartfultraderpodcast.com, where our podcast listeners can also access some limited time offers. The Artful Trader is an original podcast series by CMC Markets, a global leader in online trading. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not speak to your personal financial situation. To stay up to date with the new episodes, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite podcasts from. And make sure you share it with your friends and leave us a rating. I'm Michael McCarthy and this is The Artful Trader.